Kia from your Every Nation Southside family here in Papa Toi Toi, Auckland. You are now listening to a podcast from our church service and we pray that you will be blessed by it. For more information, please visit our Facebook page or feel free to contact our church office. Morning everyone. Wow, you all look amazing this morning. It's nice to see you all. If you're unaware, we are actually in week eight of a 10-week long series that we've been doing. And it's been on the Ten Commandments. Uh, The Ten Commandments that God gave to the Israelites that can be found in Exodus 20. Okay. And so for those of you who are just joining us, the Ten Commandments were given to the Israelites right after they had been rescued from and delivered out of slavery from Egypt, where they had been living as slaves in captivity for 400 years. And so now God had pulled them out and he was going to make a nation out of them, his chosen people. They were going to be his people. And though they had been set free from slavery, they were not living free yet. And so God had plucked them out of Egypt, which is a place that was just rampant with sin and immorality. Uh, And so God summed up his guidelines, his um, directions, his instructions on how to live life as a free person, worshiping and honoring him. And so he gave Moses, who was leading the Israelites, a list of 10 laws, 10 commandments. And now these 10 commandments are given to us because God is still teaching us, his people, how to live free and how to worship him in every area of our lives. Teaching us how to follow the one who saved us and rescued us. And so in Exodus 20, God opens up his commandments by saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. So he's reminding them who he is and what he's done for them. And then he goes on to give them his list of different commandments. And so last week, Leo uh, preached about do not steal. I heard some funny stories that he was telling, but he's a changed man now, eh, Leo? The week before that, we had Fitaloa talking about uh, do not murder. I don't think she's committed murder, though, before, so that was a really awesome time together. Uh, But today, I have the privilege, and I don't know whether I lost a bet or whether I was asleep when they voted me in, but I have the honor of talking to you about the seventh commandment, which is do not commit adultery. And so, parents, if you've still got your children in here, uh, because of the topic that we are talking about today, feel free to allow them to just head on out to our kids' church where we have an awesome team ready with an awesome lesson prepared for them. Okay? I won't feel stink if you walk out now. And so, you know, through looking at all of these Ten Commandments, you know, we actually also get a picture of what things God's, what, what are the things that God values, you know? Um, you know, I was just thinking about when you 
get to know somebody, it doesn't take you very long to figure out what are the things that they value. You know, I was thinking about uh, my dad, uh, and he had this crazy thing about never being late. He would always um, wanna be early for everything. He would pick me up from school, and sometimes I would look out the window if I was in you know, a second-story second classroom. I'd look out the window before my last class even started, and he would already be out there waiting because he just couldn't be late to anything. And you know, we had church every Sunday at 10.30, like we do here. Yes, church does actually start here at 10.30. Hint, hint. We had church at 10.30 in New Lynn. We lived in Mount Wellington. So it took us about 30 minutes to drive from Mount Wellington to New Lynn every Sunday. So, you know, it would make sense to maybe leave at 10 or 9.55 or something. But no, at 9 a.m., we had to be sitting in that car or else he would be sitting in that car. And Tayai remembers, he would be sitting in that car with his hand on the, on the horn I'm sure our neighbors just knew. Nine o'clock, oh, he'll be hitting the horn soon. He valued punctuality, of course. And you know, yesterday we knew that Ulu was coming back. He's been in Hawaii for two weeks. And so I said to my boys, hey boys, dad's coming home tomorrow morning and he's coming home at 5 a.m. So the way that the house looks before you go to sleep is the way that he's gonna walk in when he comes home. And that's all I had to say. They both got up, ran around the house, picking up all their shoes and toys and things because they know very well that their dad values cleanliness and tidiness. And so, you know, looking at the 10 commandments that we've looked at already, you know, we looked at do not murder. That shows, you know, out of any, anything that God could have mentioned, he chose these 10 things. So you know that these 10 things mean a lot to him. So that commandment, do not murder, it shows us that God values life, right? Uh, thinking about honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That shows us that God values time with us, relationship with us. Honor your father and your mother. That shows us that God values the family. And we see that also in today's commandment, do not commit adultery. We can see that God values family and God values marriages. God created marriage. It was his idea. When God was creating the world, when he was creating the universe, you know, the Bible talks about how on day one, he created the skies and the sea, separated the two. Then he, then he created land and water. And after every day, he looked at what he created and he said, it is good. He created the crawling creatures along the ground, he said, it is good. He created the creatures that swim in the ocean, and then he looked at it and he said, it is good. He created the trees, the bushes, the, the plants, fruits, vegetables, and he looked at it and he said, it is good. But then there was one day that he created something, and he looked at it and he said that it wasn't good. 
In fact, his exact words were, it is not good for man to be alone. Adam, the first man, had no companion. So God made Eve for Adam to be with him so that they could be together and so that they could be married. So God himself designed and initiated the very first wedding at almost the same time that he created people. Genesis 2, to 25 says, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Verse 24, and that is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Verse 25, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So the creator and the designer of marriage, he created it. In his perfect knowledge and his perfect understanding. Remember how we talked the other day about how there's no gaps in God's understanding. He has complete knowledge and understanding of not just us as human beings, but of the universe and how it works. And so in this infinite knowledge and wisdom, he created marriage. And in this way, he defined what marriage looks like. A covenant between one man and one woman in the presence of God, and that's it. We've got so many variety of options available to us today in our society, and it's almost like you can flip a coin and sweet. But God, the inventor and the designer of marriage, defined it, that it would be a covenant, not just a contract where two people can sign an illegal agreement, a legal agreement, but a covenant between two people and the God who created the institution of marriage and who oversees the covenant. Marriage is very important to God. He places high value on it, so much so that not only was it his idea, he actually takes part in the covenant. And I believe that we need to show marriage the respect that it deserves. It is permanent, it's exclusive, and it is sacred. Now, this sermon is not just for married people, because the Ten Commandments are not just for specific people. This commandment is not just for us married people, it is for everybody. And out of all of the things that God could have included in his list of 10 instructions on how to live free from slavery, he chose to include this commandment against adultery. And so what is adultery? Looked it up in the dictionary. It says, adultery is voluntary sexual intercourse between a married person and a person who is not their spouse. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, this is a bit awkward, talking about sex in church. 
Well, I can assure you that there is probably 5,075 other topics that I would love to preach to you about this morning. But thank you, Ta'ulu, for the honor of being chosen. And any of those topics would probably feel a little bit more comfortable for me to talk to you about as well. But you know what? Out there in the world, everywhere you turn, you're confronted by sex. On TV, in the streets, even walking out, you know, just to go and buy some milk. You can't escape it. And so, you know, as a leadership in our church, we think it's important that we, we have a responsibility to make sure that we look at what God says about sex and make sure that we are living in accordance to his will in this area particularly. God cares a great deal about how you express your, your sexual desires. God created sex and he restricts it to marriage which makes things like adultery and fornication wrong. But you know, we have to know that he's restricting it because he is protecting and guarding something precious. I wrote this up here, restriction is not the enemy of joy. For certain things, especially precious things, you must place very strict, rigid restrictions around them. You know, um, I think we all seem to understand um, diet and exercise, you know, for health. You know, you, you, people, people who have, you know, those like bulging muscles and, you know, the lumps on your stomach that you actually want, not the ones that you don't want. There are certain restrictions that you have to live by in order to gain that health, you know, which is something precious. For a diet to work, you have to put restrictions on what you eat, even when you don't feel like it. You know, if you're going to work out, there's certain restrictions that you're going to have to make to be able to go and exercise, you know, wake up early, get up off the couch from watching Netflix or TV, and go, just jump on a pass and go to the gym or wherever it is. You know, I love chocolate. Everybody knows, everybody who knows me knows that I love chocolate. And I think that I could happily eat chocolate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day, forever and ever, amen. But even though it tastes really good, it will probably ultimately kill me if I did that. And I will be happier and healthier long-term by restricting myself than if I just let my desires rule over me. And it's exactly the same with sex. God created sex, but he restricts it to marriage. Why? Because he wants to protect something very precious and to promote a greater, longer lasting joy. That's what he wants for you and me. He has a purpose for sexuality and that's why he restricts it. Sometimes, you know, you feel like you don't understand why he restricts it, and it's because you don't understand what he's protecting. We don't understand the joy that he's promoting, but we have to understand 
that God created sex and he created sexual desire before sin even entered the world. He made sex when everything was good, when everything was perfect. Genesis 1.28 says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Genesis 2.24 and 25, I read it just earlier. It says, That is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. They were naked, but they felt no shame. So it was in the goodness of creation. Before sin came and wrecked everything, it was already in the goodness and the perfection of creation that God created sex and gave it to them as a gift. You know, Adam and Eve didn't discover it by accident. God gave it to them as a gift. You know, God didn't say, um, okay, guys, I'm uh, just gonna go check on the apples and come, whoa, what are you guys doing? You know, he actually gave it to them as a gift. He told them to be fruitful and multiply. You know, so sex in marriage is not just a, oh, you can only do it there, or you get to only do it there. It is actually that God commands it there because it is healthy for a healthy marriage. The enemy did not create sex or sexual desires. He can't create. Only God can create. The only thing he can do is take the good things that we've been given and corrupt them and distort them. And that's how we've come to be in such a mess today, our society. Your sexual desires were created to be expressed in a lifelong, permanent relationship between a man and a woman who give themselves to each other. That's what it was made for. It wasn't meant to be given to just anyone that you meet, that you decide that you like, or you know, anyone who wants to have some fun. It's for someone who says to you, you have all of me, every part. I'm holding nothing back for the rest of my life. And so, you know, single people, this season that you're in is preparation for the next season. If you're sleeping around now, you're not training yourself to be faithful when you get married. Married people, this season that you're in is preparation for when Christ returns, for his bride who is without spot or blemish. Psalm 128 verse three says, it, it likens the family to, to a vine. It says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. You know, I'm not much for gardening, but I've um, seen lots of gardens. And one thing that I do know, which is probably the main reason why I'm not a good at gardening, is that it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of care. You've got to invest a lot. You've got to wait. You've got to be patient and take good care of it if you want it to grow and be fruitful. You know, me and Ulu, we've been together for 25 years as a couple. 
I was two years old when we started dating. We've been married for 17 years this year. December, December 8, 2001. You already knew that, eh? You didn't forget. You know, I, I was blessed to have a really awesome childhood and teenage years. But you know, that day was the start of the best 17 years of my life. When you make that covenant with your spouse and you say, I do, you say, I don't to everyone else. You know, we're talking about sex today. And you know, it helps you to be in love. It helps you to stay in love and be crazy about your spouse. And it makes you want to see him or her every day. You know, Ulu has access to everything that I have. Not that I've got heaps of money, but there's no his money, my money. It's all just there. It's, you know, we don't have separate accounts or whatever. There's nothing in my name. It's all shared. Okay. My phone is not my phone. He can grab it whenever he wants, check my emails, read my messages. There's never anything fun in there anyway unless he's the one who sent them because if you get texts from Ulu, you know his texts are like always funny. But every part of me is completely open to him. Why? because we want this vine to grow and bear fruit and flourish. The Bible says that Adam and Eve were naked and they felt no shame. That's what God wants for us, figuratively, in our marriages. And this is part of why God doesn't want you to just do it with anyone else. Adultery destroys the family. Matthew 5, 27 to 28, this is Jesus speaking. And he says, you have heard it, that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, which is the verse that we're looking at today. But Jesus, he says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Actually makes it harder. But he points out the fact that sin doesn't, start in the act. It starts in the heart. You know, when you watch all those, you know, like, not that I do, you know, those people out there watch those shows like Jerry Springer and, you know, I can't believe you cheated on me. And then, you know, you always hear that line, oh, it just happened. Rubbish. No, I don't, I don't watch those shows, honestly. But adultery happens in the heart long before it happens in the body on the outside. Adultery is a heart issue. There is something wrong with our hearts that we crave and follow after these things. It's, it's part of our sinful human nature. There's something that needs to be cured. You know, and we're born with this sinful nature. You don't have to teach your kids how to sin. You don't have to teach them how to be selfish. You know, I just was thinking about my niece. A lot of you have met uh, my niece, Nazareth. Um, 
she's now 11, but I remember when she was one, my brother and his family were living in Singapore, and, you know, people who live in Singapore tend to be, you know, a little bit more petite than us Polynesians, just a tiny bit. Um, and so at the age of one and a half, she was towering over the kids in kids' church who were like four. And I remember this one time that we were over there visiting and <clears throat> there, was this, um, there was this toy that Nazareth always liked. And there was a girl who was four. Nazareth was one and a half. And this girl who was four came up to here on Nazareth. And so this girl knew that Nazareth really liked this toy. And so Nazareth was just learning to walk. So she was trying to go and get the toy. And this girl saw her. And just, you know, her, I'm sure her parents didn't say, you know, at home, just look for what the people want and you take it. I don't think that they trained her to do that. She just naturally had that sinful nature. But because my niece, you know, has our Polynesian stock and build, the little girl grabbed the toy and she was like, ha ha. And then I was about to, you know, because I was the protective auntie who was visiting from overseas, I was going to get up and say, hey, act all tough to this four-year-old. But then Nazareth just walked, like stumbled over to her, grabbed the toy, and without even trying, the girl was trying to hold on to it, and she just went. And then the girl was like chasing after her and trying to snatch it off her. And so Nazareth, she's only 18 months, so she doesn't really understand like coordination or understand what's happening here. But then this girl's trying to pull it off her, and then she just goes. And she just holds it, and this girl is just sitting there, <laughs> getting so frustrated. And I was just thinking, man, sinful nature, it's just so natural, you know? But you know, the society that we live in today, it celebrates lust and adultery. You know, a study was done, and it was said that out of all of the sexual acts that are shown on television, and we know that there's heaps of them, right? 10 to one of them are outside of the context of marriage. 10 to one. A TV producer was asked why, and he said, because it's way more interesting and exciting. You know, you think of, there's so many romantic movies. You know, those of you who are my age or older, 26 or older, Remember that movie, Bridges of Madison County? It's like, okay. Ulu's doing the stop being a nerd, shaking off his head. Okay, well, anyway, it's like supposedly the most beautiful love story ever told between a lady and a woman. A lady and a woman. <laughs> lady and a man. Clint Eastwood and, what's her face? Meryl Streep. Hey, there's another nerd over there. Meryl Streep. And, you know, I was going to play the trailer, but then it was a bit, like, nerdy, so I didn't want to. But they portray it like this beautiful love story, the most beautiful love story ever written. But nowhere do they say that it is actually an adulterous affair where this lady's loving husband, he was actually a good husband, had gone out of town to take the kids to a county fair, and she was staying home. And the whole movie... 
just glamorizes this extramarital affair. You know, I'm thinking of songs like Me and Mrs. Jones got a thing going on. You know the words, stop trying to act holy. <laughs> it's not Mr. Jones singing the song, FYI. Also, you know that song from the 80s, I think, or early 90s, before I was born? Secret lovers. When's the last time that someone wrote a song about a married couple who are in love and are faithful to each other and they grow old together? I can't think of one. Why do people do it? Why is it so common? Proverbs 9.17 says, Stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Water tastes sweet. But it's water, right? So it must be good for you. But actually, it's not good for you. There's something, there's something pleasant about secrets in a kind of sinister way. Something enticing. You know, texts, playing flirting games, pretending like you don't know what you're doing. Probably everyone in this room knows someone, or maybe you yourself, have been hurt or impacted by adultery. Adultery is a dangerous sin. The Bible talks about it a lot. It talks about it a lot because it is so dangerous. When you commit adultery, you hurt yourself, your spouse, your children, and your relationship with God. Proverbs 5 says, for the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as gall, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, and her steps lead straight to the grave. It seems sweet, but in the end, it's poison. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Verse 9, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. You lose your honor and your dignity and ultimately your life. Temptations, I've talked about this before. Temptations are best fought by running away. Even if you are the most anointed person and you read your Bible every day for 19,000 hours, and you have 10,000 people in your small group, and the first time you say, good morning, everyone's like slain in the spirit, like. Doesn't matter how strong you are, you cannot beat the enemy one-on-one. -on -one. First Corinthians six says, flee from sexual immorality. You know, so many places in the Bible says, be strong, be courageous, stand firm, just be still and know that he is God. But in this instance, when it comes to sexual immorality, the Bible says to flee, to run away. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Not this building. This building, when we go home and turn off all the lights, it's like a ghost town. I've been here when everyone's gone. This is not the temple 
Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you a quick story that I think paints a very vivid picture of adultery and what adultery does. It's quite long, so I will just quickly skip through it. It's found in Judges 19, if you want to look it up in your own time. That would actually be awesome. Okay. Now a Levite who lived in a remote area in the hill country of Ephraim took a concubine, a Levite. They are the chosen people, the chosen tribe of the people of Israel, and they were supposed to be serving in the house of God. So this is like a guy who's supposed to be a priest. A Levite took a concubine. A concubine is like a mistress, like a kind of wife who lives with you and does wifely things but doesn't have the same rights as a wife. So in other words, adultery. But this concubine, she was unfaithful to him. More adultery. So she left him and went back to her parents' home in Bethlehem in Judah. After she had been there for four months, her husband, the Levite guy who's supposed to be a priest, went to her to persuade her to return. So you know, this is a guy who's supposed to be following God, serving God with all of his life, but he has a mistress and she runs away. So that's kind of like, yay, the problem's gone, right? But what does he do? He gets up and goes and chases after her. Sex and adultery are addictive. They make you chase after them. He begged her to come back. You know, some people might think, oh, how romantic. He chased after her. But remember, he was supposed to be serving God in the temple, but instead he's running around after women who aren't even his wife. He was missing out on a much higher calling because of his foolishness. Hosea, chapter five, verse four, says their deeds do not permit them to return to their God because the spirit of whoredom is within them and they know not the Lord. In other words, their habits, their practices prevent them from going to God. Why? Because there is a spirit of whoredom that prevents them from going to God. Adultery is a spirit. And the spirit of adultery is a violent intelligible spirit knows what it's doing and it's out to get you and destroy you the spirit of adultery gets into our hearts when we allow it to and it tempts us to do deeds that will prevent us from seeing God and walking in the fullness of everything that he has for us sometimes we take these things too lightly and we choose not to understand them fully. But adultery is deceptive. You think that the pleasure of that sin is going to be worth the destruction that you will cause, the heartbreak that you will bring upon your spouse, and the havoc that you are wreaking on your children. Proverbs 6, 27 to 29 says, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burnt? 
Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. Proverbs 6.32 says, he who, com- who, he who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Lacks sense. I guess that's the polite way of saying he's stupid. And so, you know, you've got this Levite man. He's continuing on his journey with his servant and his concubine. So he's gotten her. Now they're going home. And so they stop off to spend the night in a town that is inhabited by other Israelites. And they think that they'll be safe. There's an old man there and he takes them in. And just as they're enjoying themselves, having a little drink and relaxing, verse 22 says, some of the wicked men of the city surrounded the house. Pounding on the door, they shouted to the old man who owned the house. Bring out the man who came to your house so that we can have sex with him. Long story short, the Levite guy who's supposed to be serving God in the house of God takes his concubine and sends her out to the men. He basically throws her to the wolves and they attack her and abuse her all night, the Bible says, until dawn. And by morning, she is dead. The adulterous spirit is not just dangerous, addictive, and deceptive. It is also selfish. You know, I always say to sisters, man, I hope you will marry a man who will cover you and protect you. You know, not those guys you're walking down a, down, down, walking down a dark alley, you know, and danger comes. It's like, who's going to jump in front? You know, is it going to be you or is it going to be the guy, you know? If you think it's going to be you, mm, that's not the guy, I don't think. But you know what? That's a horrible story, right? Like when I was reading it, I was horrified. It's so ugly and so disturbing. But that's what adultery is like. Lust, perversion, demonic spirits. That's why the Bible tells us to flee from stuff like that. But the world finds it cute, romantic. We sing songs about it. We watch movies about it. But adultery brings a curse in our lives. Deuteronomy 23 verse 2 says, No one born of a forbidden marriage may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord. You know, throughout the years of being in ministry, Ulu and I have seen the effects of these kinds of curses many times. In my own family, above me, there has been adultery. And I've had to have curses broken over myself and my family. You know, someone used the example of um, a curse as like walking around with poop on your head and you don't know it. And it's attracting all these like gross stuff like flies and things like that. But you don't even know. You can't even clean up a mess that you don't know exists. 
that's why things like Victory Weekend are so crucial. You know, we spend time talking through these things, looking at these things, concentrating on them so that we can pray and ask God to set us free from those things. Sounds scary, and it is scary, but without God, we, are, we can be set free like that. Remember when Jesus said, you know, the Bible says, do not commit adultery, but I say to you, even if you look at someone with lustful thoughts, you're committing adultery in your heart. The moment you have thoughts, fight, kill it. We need to hate this stuff. Pray, open your mouth and say, Lord, I disagree with these thoughts. I ask you to replace these thoughts with your thoughts. Open your mouth and pray, give it to God. Ask him to cleanse you. I'm so grateful for Jesus and what he did on the cross because we don't have to live under these curses anymore. The sins that we have committed, they have no power over us when we repent and turn to God and allow him to be the king of our life. Because when we allow him to be the king, it's now his territory and he takes care of it. Because of Christ, I can repent and be forgiven. I can be renewed and restored. I'd like to close by just reading this Psalm 107. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hands of the foe. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry, they were thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's command and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and he broke away their chains. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. Let us pray. If you're married and you're next to your husband or your wife, feel free to just grab their hands and I wanna pray for our married couples here today. Lord, I pray for every married couple in here. Lord, I'm praying and believing for strong marriages, believing that you will be the center of every marriage represented here. Nothing will harm these marriages. 
I pray that the sin of adultery will be far from these marriages. I pray that they will find their contentment in you and enjoy the husband or wife of their youth. Lord, I ask for strong marriages that would glorify and honor you. I pray that when people see these marriages, that it would be encouraging and inspiring. That single people would see them and be encouraged and believe that it is possible to get married and have a great and strong marriage as well. Lord, I thank you for every couple in this room. I pray that the marriages in this church would be a good testimony to other couples who are struggling in their marriages and point them to the God who created the institution of marriage. For this next prayer, can we all just extend our hands out to our single brothers and sisters as we ask God to bless them? Lord, we pray for our single brothers and sisters. Lord, we pray that they would live a pure and holy life in this season. Lord, I pray that you would complete them, not a boyfriend or a girlfriend. If it comes, thank you, Lord. But Lord, I pray that you would remove the pressure from them. That, oh no, my family are going to ask me again, why don't I have a boyfriend or when am I going to get married? Lord, I pray that you would remove any insecurity or doubt or fear from them. And so I pray that they would live a life that is complete because they have a relationship with you. Even prepare the husbands and wives that you have for them, Lord. I pray that they would not crave or compromise for that, but that you would give, give that to them in your perfect timing. So we ask, Lord, for the spirit of contentment that would be upon them and that they would flee from sexual immorality and live a life that honors and pleases you. And so my last prayer with every eyes closed and heads bowed. If you are here and you have been impacted or traumatized because of a loved one who has committed adultery, Maybe your husband or your wife has betrayed you. Or if you're a child and your father or your mother betrayed you. There's adultery that was committed there and it traumatized, it hurt you. And you want healing and restoration and even forgiveness in your heart to come from the Lord. I want to pray for you as well.